Welcome back, everybody, to the Game of Thrones Flashcast, Season 8, Episode 6, The Iron Throne, the final, final, final episode of Game of Thrones, until the inevitable spinoffs. I am Jason Snell, and with me is Brian Hamilton. Hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going? What uh, what spinoff do you think we could get from this podcast? I think we could get uh, some Monty making obscure references. I think we can get me singing uh, as their own shows on the incomparable. Yeah, what I do can't you think. I, I can't wait for the Monty prequel where we find out where uh, Monty had been before he came here. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hard to believe we've reached the end, but we've reached the end. This is the end of Game of Thrones, and. Uh, and end of this flashcast, although, you know, who knows, perhaps someday we will come back and rewatch other episodes, or perhaps we won't. Who knows? Um, but There will be many permutations of you, me, and Monty on many other shows, and we yes. will see what we talk about. Maybe it will be Game of Thrones. And, and <laughs> none of them will be flashcasted, right? Because they will all be things we saw long ago. Yes. That we would be talking about again. But this is an episode we saw now, not yesterday, day before yesterday. Well, I guess technically I saw it today. It's a flash cast of a very strange sort for me because I, I uh, got home very late last night from travel and watched it this morning. So it was morning Game of Thrones for me. That was w- a little weird, but um, I did it. And uh, and th- we appreciate everybody's patience, assuming you're out there and that you didn't storm off. And assuming your patience. patience. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh and it's the Iron Throne, of course, the purpose of this show, who's going to sit on the Iron Throne? And this episode answers that question with a big a yoink, uh, which I thought was great. <laughs> but we'll get there. Let's uh let's start at the top. Why don't we walk through it? How you how you feeling? That sound good Let, to you? Let's walk through it like Tyrion walks through King's Landing. Yes. Indeed, indeed. This is how it begins. Tyrion walking through the destroyed streets occasionally a person is listlessly walking past him or or sitting weeping in a corner but he's walking through the destroyed streets of king's mm. landing uh, eventually finding john and saying i'm going to i need to go do something and they're like well take some cards with you and he's like no i have to i have to do this on my own um because he's looking to see if he can find his brother and sister which, despite all the havoc wreaked on King's Landing last week, he does um, the the thereby defeating Brian's conspiracy theory of last week, um, which that little light in the top of the rock pile was like their their escape. No, 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 no. My theory was that they could have escaped if they wanted to. I never said that they were alive. Oh, okay. I believe they were dead. But, okay, but... I rewatched uh, the previous episode immediately before the finale last night, and I freeze-framed and showed all my friends, and I said, listen, there's a bit of light at the top. They yeah. could have climbed over, but they didn't. So... And it turns for out how much uh, for how clear it was that you know Tyrion was just able to walk around the rubble. It seemed like there was only one little pile of bricks on top of Jamie and Cersei. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking that too. That that it's it's awfully convenient that one person can go through and is not stymied at any point um, when they were seemingly trapped in in there. But um, I, it turns out your little shaft of light at the top of the rubble pile was there for geography so that when Tyrion got into that room and saw that same thing we as an audience went oh that's where Jamie and Cersei were um that's sort of why they did it but he does climb over a different rubble pile to get to them and yes uh Jamie's gold hand is sticking out of the rubble and that is the hint that uh that he has found the resting place of his brother and sister which i just kept thinking um you know it's a tv show because in reality 
yeah, you would be presumably stymied along the way at any number of places by giant piles of rubble from this entire <laughs> city and castle that have collapsed upon on them. And then they're buried probably under tons of rubble, um, not sort of a pile of, of bricks from above. But, um, you know, it's... it. The point is that we get to see Tyrion find out whether his brother and sister made it out as he was planning or not. And the answer is, of course, that, that they didn't and that they're gone. And he weeps for them, for their their dead bodies laying there under bricks. And that that's how nice the show starts. That was a nice human moment for Tyrion because I, like, there, we get so much, we get caught up so much in all the Cersei hate and the Lannister hate. And we really root for Tyrion for both being really great as a character and then also kind of betraying his family in a bunch of ways, killing his father and like turning on Cersei and all that, even though there's still the love for Jamie. And I loved seeing him well I, I was about to say i love seeing him cry that sounds weird i love seeing the human moment where yeah even though they're horrible people and he knows that he still weeps because they're his siblings and he loves them yes. and it was a nice complex moment and i think from the perspective of somebody like daenerys for example who might say you know you betrayed me you committed treason because you let your brother go i don't think Tyrion. you know Tyrion's motivation it's it's complex in a way that i i enjoy that he knows how awful his sister was and yet he doesn't want her to die he just wants her to go away he wants to to get the the best result for people without his sister dying because he doesn't he he really he doesn't want her to die he doesn't want his brother to die for certain but he doesn't even want his awful sister to die. He just needs her out of the way because the world needs her out of the way. And so when he finds them, even though he knows and he later says in this episode, the litany of evil things that Lannisters have done, mm-hmm. he it doesn't stop him from mourning for his brother and sister. Exactly. Uh, what a difference 24 hours makes. I'm hearing a lot of people say that the writing in this episode was a lot stronger than the previous episodes where they had to move a lot faster. But in this episode, they open with, I don't know, five, ten minutes of Tyrion walking around and mourning and having really beautiful character moments like this. Mm-hmm. And while I tend to disagree with how, like, I, I think this whole season, the past few episodes have been of a really high quality for reasons we'll get into and i think that this episode is not infinitely better than last episode in that way i really loved it but i don't think last episode was garbage enough for this to be such a big departure you know no it's this moment that makes this episode really stand out in a season where things have moved really fast where they really did take the time to give Tyrion this complex interesting motivation uh to weep for his siblings yeah and i've seen not to get too much into the uh, there's a whole other podcast to be done trying to interpret the criticism that the show has gotten from various levels but i i saw uh a recapper uh, for uh, of this show for a media outlet complaining that we spent a lot of time watching characters walk around and not enough time seeing things like, for example, um, the various lords and ladies getting their invitations to come to King's Landing to the <laughs> to the Dragon Place to have a meeting. And I thought you are so desperate to criticize this show that you're mm-hmm. you're casting off everything that is about character and tension and emotional impact so that you can get 
fill in the blanks of scenes that were omitted because you don't need to see them. It's like, okay, you know, everybody gets to read the show the way they want, but I'm with you. I, I had some issues with the last week in terms of uh, some of the, the, the pacing issues with character development, but as I said last week, I also thought it was a great episode of television, a remarkable technical achievement. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit baffled, overarching, and this will continue throughout this episode, I'm a little bit baffled by the fact that they chose to make 13 episodes over two seasons to end the show because it's yes. very clear now that they needed more time and i think they i think they made some mistakes when they wrote down what was going to happen in each episode and they thought that was going to be able they were going to be able to tell their story that way and then they got into the writing of it and it was too late they had already planned that this is what it's going to be because i look at this and think if you see if you had done 20 episodes instead of 13 um you could have had the characters get to the points that you needed them to get and have the audience come with you instead of having to take some shortcuts and lose portions of the audience on the way. Cause I do think that happened, but in, in regardless, regardless, this is our moment to see Tyrion before he does what he does in this episode. He is the, um, structurally what I really love and this show has done it before and other shows do it. And it's really great is you have your moment of climax in episode in penultimate episode. And then final episode is the fallout. And that's what this episode is. And I love episodes like this because this is the fa- now dramatic things happen in this episode, but all of it, I would classify as the fallout of what happened in that climactic episode last week. And this is the, from Tyrion's perspective, this is his, the fallout, which is he's walking through a destroyed city. His brother and sister are dead. This is how we start is, is it's our tour of the damage that Daenerys has done from Tyrion's perspective. They can't get much bigger than destroying King's Landing, so of course this is the fallout. Yeah. Even though, like, as huge as the things that happen in this episode are, they're not going to be as big as Daenerys destroying King's Landing. The showdown yes. we've been waiting for for the whole season is the whole series, and, and like, right, and the, the, and that, the choice she made in that episode, right? Because that, that's what the core of it is. Like, she could choose to stop and show mercy and be conventional, and she chooses not to be conventional and instead show no mercy, and that has the long-lasting ramifications that roll into this episode. The one thing I liked about that moment where she decided last episode is that that is more emotional and conflicted than we ever see her in this episode she is resolved she's fine she's calm she's a little like tracy flick from election in a way where she's very uptight and trying to maintain this facade of i'm okay i am the leader i didn't just destroy Mm -hmm. a million people and we're gonna be all right and i feel like it was a nice moment to contrast super composed extreme daenerys even as she's approaching the iron throne later which we'll talk about she barely lets any emotion slip and seeing uh, Amelia Clark both create the emotions and try to hold them back was astounding. People in positions of power don't keep positions of power by turning inward and having lots of recriminations, you know, and self-questioning about their actions, right? Uh, you know, you might in the moment think, you know, am I going to do this? But like I I felt it was very true to life how she acts here, which is she has gone back onto her narrative, right? Like whatever she chose to do afterwards, she would say that that was the right decision and that she had absolutely been right to make it. And that we're going to go on from here because that's what people in positions of power do is they're always rolling forward and justifying their previous actions and, and, and not admitting that they made a mistake. And, you know, in this episode, John gives her, an opportunity to soften even a little bit her take on this 
And uh, Daenerys is not really one to do that, and she doesn't <laughs> do it, and and that has consequences for her. But um, but yeah, I thought I think I think it's fitting that she she's uh, you know she's going to justify it. She I she I had to do it. This was the right move. This is what I do because by definition, everything she does is the right move. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Jason, how does she flex that power in the beginning of the episode? Moving on from Tyrion. Uh, let's see. Well, I, I was going to go to um, the you know the meanwhile John and uh, and the Onion Knight are also oh right 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 are uh, also I goof. That's why you run the show. <laughs> are, they're uh, not for long. This is my last episode. I'm leaving the no! flashcast too. Um, and so are you. You're fired, but only at the end of this episode. Uh, John and the Onion Knight are in the ruins of the city as well. Um, obviously, they they uh, John has run into Tyrion already. Um, they run into Grey Worm, who has uh, a bunch of Lannister soldiers on their knees and is going to kill them all, even though they are helpless and have surrendered essentially. And John tries to stop them, but of course there are a lot of Unsullied there with their spears. And Onion Knight's like, no, 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 nope, nope. And John's like, I'll go talk to the Queen. But this is a reinforcement of the same thing, which is um, they have decided that if you, you know, were in the city or were in the Lannister army, there's no opportunity to surrender and be taken prisoner. They're going to, like the Klingons, um, the Unsullied don't take prisoners, I guess. It's, that's a line from Star Trek 2. Um, and and, uh, and Arya is also walking around through the ruins. And um, she, she from her vantage point, she sees a bunch of Dothraki running around and lines of Unsullied troops. And it it is very clear that the message that they're trying to get across in this scene is this feeling that um, invading foreign armies are now in charge of Westeros, essentially. That these two mm-hmm. groups that are not from Westeros are um, partying in the capital because they work for Daenerys and Daenerys has taken over. And I think the show really does want to give you that feeling of unease, like, you know, did you realize when you were rooting for Daenerys, if you were, that, you know, she's basically an, a foreign occupying force because she didn't grow up in Westeros and her armies are not from Westeros. And that is, uh, you know, I think, I think it just wants you to feel a little uneasy. And that is that she's got these outsider armies that, that are not part of our kind of, uh, um, Westerosi tradition that we've seen throughout. And that that's, uh, that, that is definitely an impression that, uh, that the show's trying to leave here. And they really lean into that throughout this whole episode. In my favorite way that they do that is in the geography. And uh, we saw King's Landing get destroyed last episode. We really get to examine what it's like to be in King's Landing when it's destroyed. There's ashes everywhere. All the courtyards are cleared out. Unsullied and Dothraki are everywhere. It feels so strange to not see any of the normal hustle and bustle that we right. see because everyone's dead and everyone that's alive has killed everyone else. And yeah. it's a complete 180 from where it was even two episodes ago and i feel like that's what this episode did the most effective was making king's landing feel so wrong now there's a moment here that made me laugh but i again i I think throughout this episode and really this is about watching movies and tv is um time there are time jumps there's time compression you don't not everything happens um like in in a moment like there's time that we drop out because it would be super boring to watch um every second of the storyline because this episode would have taken weeks right because it is actually kind of like there's a there's a big time jump in the middle of it um but it still made me laugh because john who we've sort of been following 
walk around and stuff ever since he left Grey Worm uh, to kill all those Lannister troops. Um, John walks up the steps and Grey Worm's at the top of the steps. And I am I like, are there two Grey Worms? <laughs> but no, <laughs> it's like a little time had passed when this happens. But but um, I think I missed uh, a little bit of that. And so I was like, oh, OK, you're here now. Did you did John like. <laughs> take a, a long the long way around and Graham was like i know all the shortcuts or something i don't know i don't even know um, here's the thing the people that like season-long boat rides between two characters were upset with last week's episode where things moved really fast and the people that like the really fast big fight episodes were upset with this episode for spending so much time wandering around yeah. and just getting character moments and i feel like game of thrones is so polarizing within its fandom at this point yeah. that people can't be happy like you're not going to make everyone happy with an episode or a decision and i think i i like both really really fast and really really deep character stuff and like you said these could have been you know 20 episodes over two seasons instead of just 13 i want more of both i didn't want like well the mechanics of the invitations being sent out or, yeah, or that's right. things like that i want to see those invitations tied to the raven's legs people I don't. I don't really want that. Yeah, I. I, I want agree. to see the ink drying in the book. It's. It's exactly. It's. Um. And and here's the thing. I. You mentioned like these different different splits in fandom and and endings are hard. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Endings are very difficult because everybody has their own show. That is the show that they believe they're watching in their head. And when you get to the end of a show, the writers have the show that they're making. And they finish it. And and separately debatable is whether they did a good job or not. But I feel like fundamentally, you're going to lose people at the end of a show that is telling a single story. Because you're going to collapse all the possibilities. All those things that you could kind of like fudge away and say, well, it's not really about that. It's about this. And in the end, the writers are like, we think it's actually about that. And you're like, oh, no. That's like that. But I thought it was about this. And, I mean, Battlestar Galactica is my is my prime example of that, where if you followed it and said, um, surely all this, all this talk about the Cylon God is just silly. I'm watching a sci-fi show. And you get to the end, and they're like, no, the Cylon God was real, and it was really important. Spoilers for Battlestar Galactica. Big spoilers. <laughs> um, actually, it's, it's not a spoiler. It's like an enhancer. Because if you haven't watched Battlestar Galactica, go in paying attention to all the references to the Cylon God. And you won't be as disappointed as all the sci-fi fans who thought all that God stuff could be ignored and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> you get to the end and Ron Moore's like, no, it totally mattered. And everybody's really outraged. And again, there are other things to criticize about Battlestar Galactica. But I think one interesting dynamic is that if you're a member of an audience who thinks you're watching show A and the writers are actually writing show B, of course you're going to be disappointed because they didn't do what you wanted because they're not making the show you you wanted to see and that you, you for a while were able to kind of have plausible uh believability that you were watching that show um the other thing i wanted to say is this is we're a little off the flashcast but we'll get back to it is <laughs> is the knives are totally out right now like there have been so many fans who've reacted so negatively and critics who've reacted so negatively to this season that the other thing that i've noticed is i feel like people are now feeling pressured to come up with bad things to say about game of thrones which is not to say that every negative opinion is uh is not valid because if you have an opinion and you didn't like it it's totally valid 
Um, but I am also fe- feeling the need. I see some some like posts on the, on the web on various sites, media outlets, where I think yeah, like like the person who was complaining about the not seeing the ravens being sent to all the lords and ladies. I'm like, wow, you're trying really hard to write a uh, Game of Thrones plot hole why it didn't work story here, like harder than you probably should because you know that you know that the knives are out and you know there's blood in the water and so that you're going to get more clicks that way and um you know that's fine like like i said my, my problem with this whole thing is that i think there are lots of flaws in this season but i still pretty much enjoyed it so mm-hmm. you know uh, people don't want to hear they want to rage <laughs> and it's like okay uh, there are 14 billion possible combinations and this is the only one that hbo will fund <laughs> that's, for a, uh, that's, for a I, I think i have a dr strange reference about uh about brand later uh if i oh, remember mm-hmm. it um yeah i feel like yeah. the i absolutely have criticisms about this finale that we'll get to there's one thing i absolutely didn't like about it but i still really liked it and you can like return of the jedi and not like the ewoks you can criticize the media you love and still you know get joy out of it even if there's one thing you don't like about it and i feel like people are writing off the entire series at this point or the entire episode or the entire season because of like a few things they don't like and if you like i I don't want to advocate turning off your analytical brain when you're (laughs) when you're watching the show because i kind of did a few times like during the battle of winterfell was like oh cool fun white walkers and fighting but there's still a lot going through my mind and like i'm gonna let you and the listeners in on a secret i didn't take any notes this season I wanted to just go in and huh. have a good time and like have fun, but I still took notes and my brain, I couldn't turn <laughs> yeah. it off. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I have one thing I want to, oh, I won't remember. Fine, I'll write it down. And then I would move on. And it was one of those like, it, it, it was one of those mo- really satisfying moments where a fandom thing I loved became something that clicked in my brain and I had that galaxy brain me moment of, oh, this is so much fun and I'm really enjoying it, even if I hate Grey Worm in this episode. And I feel like people are not doing their due diligence as fans in that way. I I don't know. I'm, I'm angry about all the discourse in a few strange and unique ways I've never seen with any other kind of media. But at the same time, this is one of the most important episodes of TV to ever air. And I don't know where we go from here as a like fandom. Yeah. I don't know. Um, dragon lands. We get that shot where Daenerys is walking and the dragon wings are behind her. Very beautiful shot. And then the dragon takes off and she, it's a Mac pro, uh, (laughs) t-shirt with the wings. Yeah. We see behind her looking out on the troops and the ruins of King's landing. It is a very creepy evoking of other images of conquerors speaking to their troops in the rubble of a city that they've destroyed. Um, and she gives them a speech. I have a note about the speech, which is she is up on the top of a very high flight of steps, and there are a bunch of horse guys running around down below along with all the Unsullied, and she's talking in a loud voice, but I had that moment of like, unless there's like magic amplification here, they can't hear a (laughs) word she's saying. Yep, that's always... dramatic license, I guess, but still. Exactly. But what she's... Her speech is, um, and and I... uh, She gives it in... um, is it in Valyrian? Is it in Dothraki? She gives it in not the common tongue of Westeros. So yes. I'm I'm unclear who among like John and Tyrion and people like that understand what she's saying, um, but the audience understands it. And I think it is a chilling speech because 
what she says is we have freed the people of King's Landing and now we will liberate the people of the world. And no! that makes the audience say, <laughs> actually, you killed the people of King's Landing. So what you're saying is you're going to now kill everybody else in the world, too, is that, unless they give you their unconditional surrender immediately. And this is, you know, again, now, does Daenerys... I think you could make an argument here that saying we freed the people of King's Landing is a little on the nose and that if she, um, it, that, that probably her delusion does not extend that far and mm-hmm. that, and that she, what she should be saying here is that, you know, we've freed the people of Westeros by liberating King's Landing basically, but not, but to specify we freed the people of King's Landing when there are literally no people left. I don't know. That's a bit too villainy even for me. I agree. I I read into that that she truly believes it, but talking with you now, I like the idea of she doesn't actually believe that, but she needs to rile up everyone else who may not know the like actual destruction and death toll of King's Landing because mm-hmm. she's the only one who had the aerial view of everyone dying. She's all pu- whereas- also pumping up her troops, right? Like that's yeah. that's part of it. She's speaking that language. She's sort of pumping them up to basically say like you guys are awesome. We did a great thing here. We're on the, we're the good guys. <laughs> Nobody look at the skulls on our hats. <laughs> we're not the baddies. We're the good guys. And, uh, you know, today, today, King's Landing, tomorrow, the world, blah, blah, blah. Cause she is kind of pumping them up in that way, but it is chilling given the, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know if, 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 I mean, there are, I'm sure there are examples, but like that seems like so much of just a bald faced lie, that that even i think danny would not necessarily believe versus sort of like rationalizing it as you know we had to destroy the city i mean it really is right we had to destroy the city in order to save it which is a thing Mm -hmm. that somebody actually said historically but here she says the people it's like wow you you really did kill the people so (laughs) that's maybe just a little too far but anyway it gets the point across which is what we said earlier which is look she's the queen if she does it, it's got to be right because she's the queen. And that's when you get into danger of people having absolute power is they believe that whatever they choose is the right thing by definition. And what she's done here is an atrocity, but she thinks she's helping. Yeah, the the more nuanced version of, well, we needed to do this, but we made a political statement by killing everyone and destroying the Red Key. That's not a good speech. Like you can't be nuanced with a good speech like that. All right, now we get to the great stuff. We're into the we're into my favorite stuff in the episode. So first off, yep. Tyrion comes out and she says to him, "You freed your brother, you've committed treason." As it, and she's basically, I don't know whether she's going to say take him away or whether she's going to give him a chance to defend himself. But what he does is say, "I freed my brother and you slaughtered a city." And he grabs the pin and he throws it down the stairs. And it's, 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 he is shaming her. He, he is not going to go along with the lie. He is shaming her. And he's basically saying, yep, you can do what you want with me. I'm a traitor. You're a monster. And, um, you know, she says, take him away, which she might've said anyway, but <laughs> it's great. And then, and, and then, uh, and then John is there and she exchanges like looks with John too. So we get a, little, a lot of more meaningful looks and, uh, you know, we'll see Tyrion again in a cell pretty soon because what play the, play the hits before you go, right? Put Tyrion <laughs> in a cell, have him ask for wine. Yep. We got to have that again. But this, this scene up here, it's very short, but 
um i i love it where where he's like you destroyed a city you slaughtered a city and throws his uh his hand to the queen pinned down and is like i'm out of here you can tell he's proud to be a traitor to Daenerys. Yeah. Because at that point, Daenerys is, uh, like, she's a tyrant. She's an awful monster. And the history books will remember him for being a better, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's strike that. Yeah. <laughs> People will remember him at this point for and being a good person by betraying he, the queen is he who proud? is a tyrant. So I'm going to back it up. Is he proud of betraying her? I don't think he is. I think he is not proud that he betrayed her to release Jamie because I, I think he knows that that was a betrayal. I, I don't think he's proud of that. I, I'm not sure Tyrion is proud of anything in this moment because he feels that he enabled this slaughter and he's somewhat responsible for it. But um, he certainly has reached the point where he's not going to stop speaking truth to power and he's not going to he's not going to play along with this fantasy that she is actually a conquering hero who is going to be beloved by the people. Um, he calls her a slaughterer and says, I'm not going to do I'm not going to work for you anymore. So I'm not sure how much of of it is pride and how much of it is discussed with her and with himself, because that's a very Tyrion thing, right, to be disgusted with himself as well. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a nice sending off moment, or at least the start to his send off. Yes, for it's a, a long, final lot episode. Of, lot of send offs, a lot of long goodbyes in this because it is it is the final episode. John sees Arya, so we get a we get a nice uh, little scene between John and Arya. Um, what what are you doing here? She says, "Well, I came here to kill Cersei, but your queen got there first. Uh, he reminds her that she's everybody's queen's now. Queen now, to which Arya says, "Try telling that to Sansa. This is just remember, mm. we are not for your girl. We are not. I am not. Sansa is not. Your family is not. And by the way, John, she knows your real identity. You will always be a threat to her. And and this is one of the lines of the episode. Uh, Arya says, "I know a killer when I see one because she yeah. is one." <laughs> God, that was great. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that's it really good. To sow, it starts to sow the seeds of what John winds up doing, where it's beat by beat, scene by scene, we see John slowly worn down from undying loyalty to Daenerys to what eventually happens. And like talking about this with you now, this is me realizing the first. This is the first little inkling of an idea where he wants to be loyal to his sister while also being loyal to the queen absolutely but then Arya sways things and it, well, it's so good and he is i think i would argue he's torn to the end and that um and then we we will see afterward the effect that that has on him but certainly um he has a lot of people he respects telling him that just because you love the queen um does not mean it's it's this it, his responsibility as being in a position that's close to her um, that he may be the only one who could stop her and that just because she's his, his queen and he's pledged his loyalty to her does not mean that he can't see what that means and that and change his mind. And um, Arya has made her case and Tyrion is about to make his case, um, which is the next scene. So Tyrion's in, you know, did you bring any wine? He's being held captive. Great Tyrion line where... Uh, he's he's like I'm gonna get executed, and now Varys's ashes can tell my ashes. See, I told you. <laughs> um, and John's like, ah, the war is over. And Tyrion's like, is it? Does she sound like she's done fighting? Um, I, and and I feel like this is great 
uh, in the sense that you know, this is one of these classic set of characters and classic conversations they have. And if you're somebody who thinks these characters having conversations is boring, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what show you've been watching. Um, uh, and what I like here is that at several points in this episode, I really do think that the that the the show shows creators and the showrunners who wrote and directed this episode are having the debate in the show that we are having out of the show and um i I think they don't always anticipate everything but i think they they get some shots in and here um there's a nice moment where Tyrion basically says what did you expect to happen fire and blood it's right there on the targaryen crest (laughs) and john says do you think our house words are stamped on our bodies when we're born if that's the case then i am fire and blood too but i'm not and he tries to defend her and he says you know Tyrion, it's easy to judge when you're standing far away she's got lots of things and we've talked about it on this show we talked about it last week like she's got her reasons uh i have to rule through fear because they're not going to love me i've got uh, foreign armies i need to do this in order to you know you can make lots of rationalizations for her behavior and what Tyrion says to counter that is would you have done it and he's like well but what does it matter and he's like it matters more than anything would you have done it evil men (laughs) die he says and we cheer for it she grows more powerful and more sure that she is good and right and wouldn't you kill whatever stood between you and paradise and uh, it's so good I know you love her I love her too not as successfully as you, he says, which is really great. <laughs> but I believed in her with all my heart. And this is just, this is Tyrion making the case. But John also, like, I like the back and forth there, where John at least is going through the motions of saying, you know, here is why she is doing what she's doing. And then dodging, like, what Tyrion's saying is, but you would not have done it. And he's like, yeah, but I'm not in that position. He's like, it. Mm. <laughs> it matters <laughs> this is the difference is that is that uh it, you should be able to see this that that you know it wasn't the right thing to do but she did it, it anyway exactly i feel like it, it's not as meta as later when it's like storytellers yeah. are the oh, yeah. great keepers of everything it but gets you're more right meta. the showrunners <laughs> the showrunners really are injecting themselves into here and i think the history books will write in our timeline not theirs i think the history books will write for one week in 2019 the internet thought that game of thrones was the worst show in the world and if you just waited a week for the finale and this wonderful scene where Tyrion literally just explains everything away it's like it it, it made so much more sense for the last episode and i i don't want to say he justified what happened in the last episode with it but i feel like he contextualized it for john and the audience in a way that again in the future people are just going to binge from last episode to this episode and the debates we had for the past seven days aren't going to matter but for right now i loved that reveal of oh thank god Tyrion got to contextualize this for everyone after a week of misery on twitter (laughs) yeah yeah i mean he he is this is a good back and forth about like well you know she had her reasons and it's like the reasons aren't good enough and i think people who complain that like uh daenerys's actions don't follow from what she's done and i've seen it from both sides i was getting into it with somebody on the incomparable slack today where he had like here's a link about why uh why this whole story with daenerys wasn't properly set up and i said well okay here's another link that lists everything she's done involving burning people alive (laughs) and and the fact is you know nobody's right or wrong because what's in the middle there is yes we know her history but was that enough? And if you say it was, 
or it wasn't. And last week I said I felt it moved too fast. And I think I stand by that. I felt like her she, it moved a little bit too fast. But I think her trajectory, when you look back on it, is clear. And I think a rewatch of this show, it's going to be that much clearer that she, to those who maybe were kind of blinded by, oh, it's Daenerys, she's one of our heroes, she's going to save the day, to the other side of her. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it, it, I like them having the debate about it. Uh, which leads to the whole um, love is the death of duty, Mr. Amon used to say, and Tyrion's like, sometimes duty is the death of love. And he's saying, like, oh, you need that. to do your duty. It doesn't matter that you love her. I love her. We need to do our duty. He says, you are the shield that guards the realms of men. Who Boom. is the greatest threat to the people right now? And when John brushes that off, he says, and your sisters, they're against her. What is she going to do to them? You know, uh, and, and and he says, she doesn't get to choose, John says. And Tyrion is a good closer. He's a solid closer. This is the Tyrion we remember before he started screwing things up, which is, uh, <laughs> she doesn't get to choose. No, you do, and you have to choose now, he says. Unsta- unsaid said there is, you have to choose now, because this is the last episode. So, you got to yes. do it now. We're, we're out of time. Choose now, <laughs> John. Was- you can't put it off. That was the one moment where I thought, okay, I, I agree that things are moving too fast, but only in that I want more and not this doesn't make sense. But it's a nice moment where, okay, this is the last episode. You have to choose now and you can start to see the pieces fall into place about why this moment and what they're focusing on is the last episode. I said last week that I think the smartest move they made was kind of distilling all the conflict down to just a few key characters. And at this point, all the conversations in the first half of the episode are just between John, Tyrion, Daenerys talking about things and they are the conversations with the biggest impact and I think right. it works. I think they did a really great job setting up this episode with all these conversations that we've missed and having everything there that makes Game of Thrones Game of Thrones. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> and I think, and this is a trend and I mentioned it here before, the, the truth is that I think it's very valid if somebody says it feels like this season and maybe last season too, the characters are kind of like not doing what I thought that they, who they thought they were before. Cause I think what we, what we see a lot in big story arc storytelling in TV is you at some point have to shift from moving forward to working backward from the ending and that space in the middle can be really ugly where you have to shift from your forward, like, let's see where the story is going, to, well, now I need to join something that I backed up from the season finale, series finale, and how do I get these things to, to join together? And that, that those episodes where you're trying to stick those two different storytelling styles together can be super messy. And in uh, I, I always refer in a, uh, a season-long story arc on TV to those furniture-moving episodes where suddenly everything gets really weird, and why are these characters doing this and why did this happen it doesn't make any sense and it's usually about five episodes before the end of the season and it's because mm-hmm. now they're backtracking from the finale and <laughs> the, you could view this season and last season as being that and i think a side effect of that is often the endings are quite satisfying because some skilled storytellers have come up with an interesting ending to their show for the season or all you know, the complete run of the show uh, that touches on some of the themes they think are important and gets the characters where, where they think it's sort of a fitting ending. Um, 
And I feel like that's where we are here, which is some of it doesn't hold with the rest of the show, but I'm not surprised that this felt like a satisfying final episode for me because, you know, all of the rest of what they've done the last 12 episodes has been to get everybody where they are to have these conversations and reach this point. And so, of course, this is the the ending they wanted. And you can, I think it's, I think it's very clear you can not like how they got here, but I I like what they did with what you know where they are, um, and that, I know that's weird, but like that's sort of, that's sort of the way I I have to kind of decipher it is like you might not like that Daenerys reached this point, but taking as a given the last three episodes or the last episode even, what do they do with this? And I thought they did something that um, it, that fits where they have been recently and is in keeping with some of the larger themes of the show. Um, also, and that's there's not a, even to mention the change.org thing where people want <laughs> the season Sorry. to be remade. Oh, fans, come on. Petitions <laughs> oh, God, are, then, online petitions are stupid anyway, but that was, that was, that was the worst. I, I just wanted to mention, Brian, uh, look over there. It's a snowdrift. <gasps> a snowdrift? Oh, no, it's a giant dragon covered with a light dusting dun, of snow dun, and ash. Done. But um, all it does is kind of get up and shake off some of the snow because it's snowing now because it's winter and there's snow and ash coming down. And, um, and uh, John... Uh, it sort of like reaches out and looks at John and all that. And this is a reminder for those who have not been paying attention when he rode the dragon and when the dragons sniffed him in that other episode last season. Um, John has a rapport with the dragons, probably because he is a uh, Targaryen, but mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, he can ride a dragon and he has kind of a rapport. And so here, uh, when somebody else might have gotten eaten, who knows, uh, the, the dragon just kind of perks up a little bit and, and kind of reaches out and looks at him and then kind of settles back down. Um, this might be a little hint about something that happens later, but <laughs> it's not we don't actually, you know, it, somebody doesn't step out from behind a wall and explain why things happen exactly. in this episode. So you just have to guess. Um, and then here we are. We're in the throne room, which is um, open air throne room now, a little better ventilated than it used to be. <laughs> the Iron Throne is there. Um, Daenerys is there. The snow is falling. Um, she touches it. One of the hilts on one of the armrests of the Iron Throne. And she's about to turn around and sit down when John walks yeah, in. Yeah, she sees John and... Uh, and you know, there's nothing there's nothing more awkward than like trying out your seat in the throne with people watching because that's like kind of <laughs> embarrassing. Like, let me have this moment. Yeah, John is there and she tells him a little story about how her brother told her about her brother, the the uh, also pretty mad, uh, the Cirrus Targaryen, um, about when she was when she was a girl. Uh, he told about a thousand swords from their ancestors' enemies that were uh, beaten into a into a throne for him, and uh, she couldn't even count to twenty. Um, and she tells the story, and John, not one for small talk, says, "There are children dead in the streets. Have you been down there? Have you seen it?" So, like, um, like Tyrion, he is not going to let up on this he is not he's not going lightly and he's trying to convince her but he's also trying to shock this into her like you know you need to forgive these people he says the world we need to build is a world of mercy and she doesn't agree she's got a vision for a new better world i know what is good she says to which he says what about all the other people who think they know what's good and then we get it which is well, they don't get to choose. Oh, God. 
all the moments of Tyrion going, no, you get to choose, you have to do this, and you have to make this decision to go forward, and then Daenerys saying they don't get to choose. And there's the difference between can and can't, positive versus negative, that really hit me when I was watching this. I was like, come on, you set that up so perfectly. And this is this is the power... This is the absolute power corrupts. This is George R. R. Martin, I believe. You know, the, these the books and the show have always had embedded in them, and I don't think everybody wants to see it or think about it a lot. But one of the things that this is about is the criticism of the entire concept of this kind of society. There's a more blatant reference to it later, but this is the idea here: is they don't get to choose. I get to choose. I have taken the throne. I have taken power mine is the only opinion that matters and the show and the books are all about how not only is that incredibly corrupting because she says i know what is good by very definition you know whatever she thinks is good is good she gets to choose and um and this is the result is destruction because nobody should have that kind of power and nobody should be able to to define what is good because this is the result and and um but she makes her case to John. She's like, you, 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 you be with me. She still wants him with her, even though, you know, he's a threat and all that. She, she, I think she wants him to be there. Let's do this together. She's making, her, making another, another play here. Um, break, let's break the wheel together. Now, I haven't seen a lot because I watched this earlier today. I think there's probably a criticism to be made here that Daenerys, this iron-willed, queen has twice been like please to her boyfriend saying come on with me i could see i could see people people being bothered by that i feel like he is one of the few people she's ever viewed as being almost but not quite an equal (laughs) and she 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 likes him in a lot of different ways and sees how great it would be for them to go on together as long as she's in charge. And so why would she not um, make that you know request slash demand again? Because she's accustomed to getting what she wants. And she's like, come on. I, she doesn't see it. I'm, I'm gr- doing good here. We're going to break the wheel. Come on board. Um, she's making that that pitch, and it, it's of course tragic because all she's really doing is reinforcing with John everything that Tyrion said to her, everything that Arya said to her said to him. It's the other side of the same coin from last week as, is it love or fear? Oh, well, I guess it's fear. And again, we the last piece of media we need right now is uh, something saying that a woman is too crazy to lead. But I feel like there's enough there for Daenerys to, you know, want to make that case. And compared to her big speech outside just before this, the, this is a lot more genuine, I feel. Even though, like, we, we can have the debate, does she actually believe she liberated King's Landing? This is a much more fundamental, low-level close to the metal kind of way of explaining <laughs> yeah. how she feels about what she's doing that's and that's, that's the tragedy the right thing. She, yeah she doesn't see it she doesn't see it and i think that's i think that's sort of the show also saying when you have this much power you don't see it you don't see the things you do everything you do is right and therefore you don't see the things you do that are wrong you you're incapable of it and that's what makes people with this kind of power monstrous um, this is all John needs to hear. And, you know, talking about the frame of mind of, of John, John says to her, you are my queen now, now and always. 
and he kisses her. And I'm going to make the case, John is absolutely being truthful here. And when we see John after this, he is a destroyed person. He he is knows what haunted, needs to be done for the realm, but he, but he doesn't want to do this. He still loves her. He he knows this is the ultimate betrayal. He doesn't want to do it, but as Tyrion put it, sometimes duty comes before love. And so he says what he believes, which is you are my queen now and always. He knows this is his doom essentially. And he stabs her to death and thus ends Daenerys Targaryen. R.I.P. in peace. Yeah. I, I, throughout this episode, I kept looking at characters and saying, look, you made it to the last episode. What more do you want? <laughs> it's like yeah, you, you made got, it to the final three. The survivor jury is about to you vote know, for you, you, but no. The John power Lee. shifts from the players to the jury, you see, Brian. <laughs> it's not the survivor flash cast. Um, although I could totally do a podcast about survivor, but I'm not going to. But I could totally could. Totally could. Um, this is not that, though. Um, so, yeah, Daenerys, he, he, he does it. He kills her. And, and immediately Drogon feels it and shrieks and you could hear it from off screen. And I thought that was such a wonderful touch. Yeah. 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 The dragon is not, um, uh, good old, good old Drogon is not, uh, so clearly, and this hasn't been dealt with too much, but she is bonded to the dragon. Like he is bonded to the wolf. That that is like they are connected in a way. Huh, interesting. I, I think I think you know they they are bonded similarly, and so of course Drogon knows when she dies. Of course, I feel like I feel like that is a a, a pretty clear connection, and it cries and it flies up. And it's super sad because it lands and yes, it's scary and it's looking around and John's like, you're going to fry me right here. But in that (laughs) moment, it like bumps her body with its face like it's trying to turn her and wake her up. So heartbreaking. And it can't. And then we see from John's perspective as its mouth opens and you see the fire growing and it's going to come out. And uh, in rage and sadness over the death of its mother... It, uh, Drogon burns uh, the room. It melts the Iron Throne in a fantastically symbolic moment. It melts the Iron Throne to slag. It just drips away and runs down the floor and down the down the the wall. And I know that a lot of people are saying, well, why didn't it kill John? But as we said before, the dragons have kind of a rapport with John. I don't know whether it's that he's a Targaryen. I don't know whether it's just something about John. I don't know whether it's that John and Danny were together in that moment before he stabbed her and therefore he smells like her or something. Like it knows that it's a friend. It knows that John is a friend that has been with her. I'm not sure the dragon really gets like that John killed her. Or you could just say, sure, it's because he's a Targaryen. Whatever it is, I feel like that's good episode, enough. Think back to that scene in episode two where John and Daenerys go on the magic dragon ride and they start making out in the background and John looks yes. and oh, the dragons are watching. That's weird. But they know. They know that they're together and in yeah. love. And this is a much more complicated moment for John and everyone involved, I guess, than, you know, John killed Daenerys, dragon killed John. I will also um, say that um, it wouldn't... I would not have been surprised if... Uh, Dracarys had tried to burn John alive and he had not burned. 
Uh, oh, right, right, just like Daenerys, yeah. the Targaryen thing. I kind of, yeah. I kind of was waiting for that to happen, but this is not the story they wanted to tell. So th- basically, the dragons don't. You know, the dragon is is mad, but the dragon knows that John is for whatever reason is a friend and so it isn't trying to kill john they 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 like john and they don't and it doesn't understand what just happened it just knows mm. that it's its mother is dead and it's very sad and it picks it up by its claws and it flies away or as i said in my notes bye, <laughs> bye. and that's it for drogon yeah wow. Exit, that's uh, a wrap on drogon that, do you think that drogon knew that that was the iron throne and wanted to destroy it or just rage flamed in a random direction Uh, drogon is an animal that rage flamed but um you know obviously from a, a an outside the show perspective it is super symbolic right it is the melting of the thing that everybody wanted you want the iron throne well you're not going to get it all that's left is destruction and death nobody sits on the iron throne at the end of game of thrones that is that is what the show is doing here but yes i think it's just i think it's just dragon dragon grief and dragon range in the moment the entire time throughout the scene, all my friends and I were screaming, John, get out of there. He's <laughs> yeah. going to kill you. Oh, my God. I think it would have killed so him fun. if he had tried to run, right? But he doesn't try to run. I think that may be part of it, too. Yeah, um, I also heard that yeah. someone was very glad that John didn't get on Drogon and ride him. I kind of agree. That would have been a little bit too well, that, on the news. That was my. That would have been another way for them to end this show. Right? Is that is that it burns him alive? He he doesn't die. He gets on the back of Drogon and he goes riding off. And it's like, behold, uh, you know, new Targaryen king, and we're going to follow him. And he's a nice guy, so it'll be fine. But that's not the story that the storytellers want to tell, and I'm okay with that because I think I think I think their whole idea here is um, that, in some ways, you know, a critique of the dream of sitting on the Iron Throne. So having it come by a means such as that would not have been appropriate. Absolutely. Three weeks pass <laughs> in a fade not out. Ten years, but three weeks. Yeah. Um, Still holding on to hope for a big time jump in the middle of this episode. Every time it faded to black, I was like, jump forward 10 years, jump forward 10 years. And all my friends were like, Brian, please stop. It, well, we got, uh, was, but it turns out they never did. We got three weeks. Uh, Tyrion is pulled out of his cell and we're, and as viewers were like, what, what is going on here? And he is taken to the dragon pit where a bunch of knights and leaders of all the houses, we see that there's like a house Martell there, you know, there's the, the you know, with the Dorn outfits. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Edmure Tully is there. Tobias Menzies is back on the show for the first time since the Red Wedding, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Yara Greyjoy is there. Um, three Stark children are there. Uh, Brienne and Davos, and there's and, and Tyrion is there. And Tyrion is the head of House Lannister, basically. So it's like uh, all these uh, heads of houses are there. Um, Gendry is there, and Grey Worm, and Grey and Grey Worm has brought hit Tyrion. And it turns out that this is a a meeting of all the leaders of the houses because they're trying to come up with a solution where um, they can settle this because John and Tyrion are hostages and Grey Worm has refused to bring John because John killed his queen and so John he's not going to negotiate for John but they negotiate oh anyway. God. Oh my god. Um, there was a great oh moment god. where Yara's like let's just kill John because uh, we pledged ourselves to Daenerys and he killed her so he should die. And Arya says I will kill you if you kill him. So it's like, okay, well, <laughs> awkward. Well, strike that. <laughs> awkward. Um, and then we get uh, a nice move from the Onion Knight, which is first off, he speaks Grey Worm's name in his language, 
and says, did I get that right? And I like that because it's like he's trying to show respect to Grey Worm mm-hmm. as not like some unsullied soldier, but as the, you know, as Daenerys's minister of war. He wants to give him his due and pronounce his name correctly. But then he goes and basically says, look, we'll just give you a bunch of land and uh, a title and you guys can just go off and live in Westeros and have land and money and be happy. And he and and he unsurprisingly says, no, that's not what we're you want to pay us off for this. The, we were here to serve our queen and she died and that's not going to that's not going to do it. Um, but that leads to. Uh, the stepping up of Tyrion, which is, he says, uh, you know, we're not going to do that. Jon Snow can't go free. And Tyrion says, it's not for you to decide. And he, and he says, shut up. <laughs> and Tyrion says, <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody's heard enough words from you. And he's like, yes, yes, everybody has heard enough words from me. Um, everything I say is terrible. Uh, but despite that, <laughs> <laughs> we need, um, we need a, a king. We need to fix this. And we need to change. So, so who's going to be the king? How are we going to do this? Because, because um, it's not for Grey Worm to decide. It's for the king or queen to decide. And there is no king or queen. So, how do we break the impasse? Uh, people have this... I- Ed- Edmure has ideas. By the way, Tobias Menzies in a thankless scene <laughs> stands up and says, "Well, I could be the king." And it's seriously, it's like, sit down, dummy, sit down. That was great. This was one of the moments that made me feel like things were moving too fast and that I wanted more, where they seemed surprisingly happy to just say, okay, let's decide a king. And Tyrion is persuasive. Don't know if he's that persuasive. Yeah, yeah. This is a complete change in the social order. And I think this is one of those cases where um, it probably would take a lot longer and be more negotiated. But the fact is, I don't think it would be more interesting, necessarily. I mean, it would be kind of like 1776, the musical, yeah. <laughs> uh, where it's like, you know, sit down, Tyrion, sit down, Tyrion. No, uh, it would not be that interesting, but they compress it. And this isn't time compression. This is just like, look, for the sake of everybody, we're going to have the entire debate about the system of government in Westeros right here in this uh, almost final scene of the final episode. Uh, we're just going to lay it all on the table. And is that realistic? No, no, I'm sure it would be much more complicated. I'm probably much less dramatic so they do it all yes. in this one freewheeling conversation where Tyrion gets to use his words sam uh of course who is now the head of house tarley says i got an idea why not democracy at which point all of the other lords just laugh and say well why don't we just have the chickens vote if you're gonna have the commoners vote my horse will have a vote too <laughs> yeah that i that was a good laugh but it was one of those moments that felt a little too close to like really is this something we're suggesting? Like, of all the things you could try to bring in from modern times into fantasy long ago times, you chose democracy and not, you know, respect for other genders? I don't know. Well, who said that? But I, no, I think fundamentally it, it, this is the right thing for somebody to do, and you have to say it, which is this whole system is corrupt. We should have, everybody should have a say, not just the rich and powerful lords. The problem is the rich and powerful lords are not interested in hearing that conversation because they have power. So I I really liked this, not only because it's very funny when it's laughed down, but because this is the, this is one of the political statements of Game of Thrones, the books and the TV show, which is fundamentally this system is, is corrupt. It's broken. It's wrong. 
and uh, you can play. The whole point is you can play at princes and princesses and kings and queens. Um, but what you're really doing is it's a very small group of people who are wielding all the power over the rest of the people who are out there in the fields and in the towns. And, uh, you know, Daenerys was bad by killing all the people in the town. But, you know, when we offer uh, perhaps uh, letting them help decide who's going to rule, um, they're not interested in that either. So they don't have exactly. that much respect for those people who burned alive in King's Landing. <laughs> and then so begins, I think, some of the greatest dialogue in Game of Thrones history, uh, <laughs> okay. where Bran and Tyrion start to have a uh, a rapport. Jason, if you'd like to continue, yeah. So Bran and Tyrion, uh, so Tyrion's going to do the hard sell on Bran as the king now. This is basically what's going on now, where he's and, and I know some people were like, Bran, that's a really weird choice. It's like, I don't know, is it just me? I've I've seen the the King Bran truthers in my timeline for a long time now. People talking up Bran as the as the surprise solution to this because he yep. he knows everything and he's seen everything and he doesn't want it and he's going to be kind of a he's not going to you know be power hungry because he's seen all the follies of the past and all of that and uh Tyrion goes on to basically give that speech which is like uh first it's like stories are good nothing in the world more powerful than a good story says character written by people who write scripts for a living <laughs> uh but who better than Bran uh he's got this he's got this whole whole story about uh about uh, getting pushed out of the window and he's he can't walk but he learned to fly and he went to the north and 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 uh you know he is the oldest male of the starks so he's got some validity in terms of being from a, a noble family um but also uh, he has the knowledge of all the other stories and all the other mistakes because he's got the thir- the three-eyed raven knowledge and therefore he will be wise he'll be a wise king and uh you know presumably won't have any uh kids which is fine because uh sons of kings are stupid and cruel as Sansa knows. He points that out. It won't out. be hereditary anymore. It's going to be uh, decided by the small council. Yes, this is not, well, the, not, small the, not the small council. Not the small council. Just d- d- decided by the lords and ladies of the seven kingdoms. He says this breaks the wheel. Grey Worm, you should be. You should like this. Uh, we won't. You know, we'll choose a leader. And what I like about this idea is that it is it is fittingly incremental because those people with power are not going to agree to major changes that make them lose their power but what they will agree to is not only getting a little more power in being able to choose the king but also being insulated from what happens when a uh, cruel and stupid son of a king takes over and so it, it's it's not only a choice that kind of makes sense for those other lords and ladies i know it's abrupt everybody's been trying to kill everybody else for to become the king for so long in the show but that that it's kind of like a shocking moment where nobody other than uh Edmure tully stands up and says i will be the king um but i do think it's in their self-interest to make this incremental change to kind of make the realm a little more stable politically while not giving up any of their actual power like what sam suggested exactly think back to season or no episode two of season eight and you think about the scene where bran says hmm or no Tyrion says hmm you've had quite an interesting story yes. i'd like to hear it and yes. here's the payoff here he uses that information to sell everyone on bran being king and i think it works perfectly in that Tyrion gets to flex his talking muscles in a really cool interesting way almost as like a challenge to himself or like can i get this like little kid that can't walk to be king let's see let's, <laughs> let's try let's give it happens. a try 
Uh, challenge also, accepted. <laughs> also, Bran the Broken didn't need to hear that 20 times this episode. Hmm, so, a little bad. So I am okay with it. And the reason I'm okay with it is the same reason that I am okay with them laughing at democracy. Because these are, one, awful people. <laughs> and so it goes there. And also, I think Tyrion's kind of a master of marketing. And he's sort of selling the fact that he's got this great story. He can't even walk. He's in a chair. But uh, he also has all these powers and went all these places. And there's Bran the Builder, who's a character from history. And so he's echoing back to that. But yeah, in the end, I can't get too worked up over um, over them calling him Bran the Broken. Because these are also people who laughed at the idea of letting, uh, like, uh, of universal suffrage. They're awful. That's true. Just a little ableist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, it is. It is, but um, not the most progressive world of Westeros in, in any any sense of the word, really. Um, I love the exchange between Bran and Tyrion because it shows some personality from Bran, and that's actually going to be one of my complaints about it is the way that, that um, the actor has played the part and the way it's been written. I think Bran has been a little too weird. I think I think Brand's been too weird. I think they made a mistake. Interesting. If they were going here, that it they made him seem so disconnected from reality, so weird that he, it's like, is he even there anymore? Is he just a vessel? And now they want to make him the king. And I kind of wanted a just a little bit more. I mean, we got a little of it when he when he said to John. You know, you have to decide whether to tell them or not. Like we've gotten some of those moments of co- sort of like Bran going from being kind of a why or a weirdo who has like the computer bank of Westeros to being more like a wise sage, a wise beyond his years. I think they could have probably done a better job and maybe taken if they had taken a little more time because we get to this moment and I think it's good. I just don't think it's as set up as it should have been where Tyrion says, I know you don't want to be the king, but will you wear the crown? And Bran's response is not, um, well, you know, crowns are the, you know, some weird cryptic thing where you're, where you're like, what, <laughs> what is with this guy? He says, why did you think I, ca- I came all this way? Which is funny, but also he's lucid and he's saying, yeah. That's why I'm here. I knew that, you know, I basically, I, I knew this would happen, but like, yeah, that's why I'm here. So that felt a little out of character for someone that they built up to be this very, very strange character. Right. This is what I'm saying is I, I feel like they've been trying to pull back on Bran as a super weirdo for a while, but I think there was not enough there. And in this moment, he's hitting the notes that he should, which is he's bran with this extra information downloaded into him but for seasons now we've been like well i was bran but i'm not bran anymore now i'm the three-eyed raven and i don't really understand why you humans cry and all of that and i think that's um i think they went too far in that direction and they needed to bring it they needed to bring it back i think even Mm -hmm. um when we had the old three-eyed raven uh max von sydow like I think he showed a little more humanity than yes. than and maybe it's Isaac Hempstead Wright, I think is his name. Maybe maybe it's his performance, but I think some of it is just the writing is that they wanted him to play up the weird and uh it makes this payoff not as good because we should have seen Bran I, I think I think as an audience member I look at this and I think, really, Bran? Like he's good for all those reasons, but he's so weird. And um and this scene you know, diffuses that a little, but there could have been more there. Cause I love, why did you think I came all this way? Cause that's him talking like a regular person saying, yeah, I'm up for it. Let's do it. And that's really interesting. And everybody agrees. Let's vote for Bran, except for Sansa, who does another thing that I think they set up well, 
uh, from early on in the show. We've known the history of the North. The North is always different. Um, and here it is. Uh, she can't say yes to anyone, not just Daenerys, as king, not even her brother, because the North does not want to be uh, part of of the Seven Kingdoms. It is historically an independent country, and it wants to go back to being that. Um scotland anyway um <laughs> that is what is uh, shout out to scotland and so uh everybody and so bran gives a nod and uh Tyrion, because again he's got a plan here and he's moving it along master of marketing he's like great all hail bran king of the six kingdoms <laughs> do you think daenerys who couldn't count to 20 could subtract seven one from seven to make six do you I, think that could i think daenerys really wanted like 20 kingdoms uh, right, like the whole <laughs> world, all that or one kingdom, one way, one way or another, and then the tables get turned immediately in a delightful thing, which is, uh, and Bran looks at Tyrion and says, "And you will be my hand." And Tyrion, it is a great take from Peter Dinklage. It's maybe my favorite thing he's done uh, anytime recently on Game of Thrones, where he does one of those, but uh, mm, no, uh, like it's this hump, but what, no, mm, uh, no, no, no. It was perfect. It was exactly what was set up for him as the person who nominated a reluctant king. You know what? You get a reluctant hand to the king. And, and he says like, I didn't want to be a king. You don't want to be the hand. It's too bad. This is your punishment. And Grey Worm's like, he deserves justice. It's like, yeah. He just got it. He's got a, he has, I, he's made many mistakes and he's going to spend the rest of his life fixing them. It's like, that is a great fate for Tyrion, which is, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta do this now. You gotta fix the kingdom now. You were a part of this. You helped with Daenerys. You helped break it. You broke the wheel. Now you gotta fix it. New wheel. You gotta put, put the new <laughs> wheel on whatever metaphor you want here. And I think that's, I think that's a, a great ending for Tyrion that he now, because, you know, he is a great character and he is decent and brilliant and it is the right job for him to be the hand of, of the king. Um, and now he's got a king who will not be in the middle of this, you know, a bunch of wars and they can actually put the society back together again, as we'll see in a little bit. And uh, I think it's the a important thing end. here is that, that Sansa finally has a king on the throne who understands the North. Yes. And I see a lot of people thinking, uh, what the, what in the world? It was that easy to get the, the North to be its own kingdom again? That's so weird and so fast. No, it's her brother. That's right. He knows the North better than, who, and almost better than anyone else who, alive. Who better to grant the North its independence? You put, we, we just, we just put a Stark on the throne. His first <laughs> act is to grant the North independence. Exactly. I, I think that is, yeah, that's absolutely right. Because, again, part of the point here is let's not have more wars. Let's calm this down. And the North is not going to allow themselves to be kept under the Seven Kingdoms. And so this is the result is is Brand's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, he, he makes that happen. And I think that's, I mean, the Northerners are a pain. Nobody else wants them around. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. And that's... um then we get another break, which is now, now John is in the uh, is in the cell, and so we have to deal with uh, with with what's happening with uh, with John. John is going to be sent to the Night's Watch again. No one is very happy. Tyrion says, which means that it's a good compromise. I like that line a lot, um, and I think this comes back to what I was saying earlier about John being 
a uh, a broken man, a destroyed person after killing Daenerys, which is he is a miserable wretch in this cell. And not just because he's been in a cell, he says to Tyrion, was it right what I did? And Tyrion says, well, what we did, it's not just, uh, it's not just you. It's, it's, it's both of us. But John is just still kind of listless. And he says, it doesn't feel right. And Tyrion says, ask me again in 10 years. Um, more headcanon for the 10 year jump. Yeah. There isn't one. <laughs> I don't expect we'll see each other again. And Tyrion's like, I, I wouldn't be so sure. I, you know, I'll, I'll get up to the wall eventually. It's fine. Remember calling, calling back to the first season. Um, but what I take away from this scene again is this is the scene that lets us know John is not happy about what has happened. He he is suffering for having killed Daenerys. He's not like, hey, I had to do it. He is, he loved her. He believed in her. He realized he needed to make the move that he made, but he doesn't feel good about it. And he's questioning himself. And he do, he thinks, you know, I don't think what I, I did the right thing. Um, and yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of a, a, a wrecked person here and i i like that i i want to feel the effects of that and not have him kind of like shake it off he he is um haunted by what he has done this makes sense and as reluctant as he was to kill daenerys he did and now the realm is better for it but he's not yes and this is my biggest problem with the episode is that i'm so sad the reason john has to go back to the wall is because of gray worm I feel like John, at the very end, we see him go north of the Wildlings. He's happy to be at the wall, at the very least, for something that he believes in. He is he, he believes in the Wildlings. He wants to help them. He wants to do everything there. That's great. Fine. I wish the reason he was sent there was not Grey Worm, who is like so undyingly loyal to Daenerys that even in death... He is punishing people right. who. I, I, it's not that John doesn't deserve it because he did literally kill her, but it felt very forced in that they just needed a reason for him to get back up there. And I feel like there could have been a better reason for John to be at the wall. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that it's like, we. this is what we worked out, and Bran gave his word, and, you know, this was, this was the way to negotiate essentially the departure of these armies from their lands, which is something you needed to do with John also not dying and that they found a way and this is the way and it's sort of fitting because he was at the wall and they're they're you know is there any night's watch left is a really good question that gets asked <laughs> and we'll always need somewhere to send our bastards and lo- broken people lost people and it's like so that's not great we know the, who those guys were and a lot of them were kind of awful there were some okay ones but there are a lot of awful ones I, I think it's weird because it's like do we need it anymore now that the night king is gone is this really a tradition but i have some other theories brian some theories that we'll get to um when we when we go to, to the wall but um but, All right. but first boats but first there are boats it looks oh, like i love the scene in return of the king the uh, dothraki and the unsullied are getting out of dodge john walks along the water gray worm is up on a boat and he gives him a look i wrote in my notes gray worm sucks i get it <laughs> I, he loved daenerys he loved Missandei. they're both dead he is an angry man they're sailing with night's watch they're sailing for nath which is where Missandei is from that's nice but really he sucks and they need to go away um but the, but there is that question of like, well, you bring armies and then your your queen dies. What do those armies 
do? Do they just lash out? Do they surrender? Um, they're, they're sort of too proud for that, so they're just going to leave. I, I, and I assume the Dothraki, because there are Dothraki down there at the docks too when John's walking. I kind of assume that the Dothraki are going to, going to be taken home too as a part of this. It's never said. Um, either that or they're all going to be longshoremen in Westeros from now on. <laughs> the Dothraki got along fine before Daenerys showed up, so I'm sure they'll continue they just getting along get, fine. I mean, they just, either they're going to be running around uh, with their horses in Westeros, or they're going to get taken back across the Narrow Sea so they can go back to their homeland, which is, I kind of assume what it's going to, even though it's not yeah. said, because they don't want the Dothraki running around Westeros, so maybe, unless they gave the Dothraki uh, the reach and said, make a, <laughs> make a call, stay on the reach with your horses, it's fine, but it's left to our imagination imagination um and uh john says can you forgive me to his sister um but uh the answer is well i mean it's like what are you asking forgiveness for the north is free thanks to you um but they but you know i was the king in the north and they lost that and it's like that's okay um you know sansa's uh, going to speak for them. She's the best they can ask for. It's great. Sansa's going to be in charge. Um, Arya, mm-hmm. however, is not going back to the north. She, like Frodo and the elves, is going into the west. Oh my god. It's perfect. I was feeling, and a lot of people have been feeling a bunch of ways about Arya in these last two episodes where she hasn't really done much. She got a horse. That's great. I'm happy for her, but she hasn't, like, everyone was expecting her to kill Cersei, and I feel like the show, this is another example of the showrunners kind of doing things to manipulate what happens in a way that people might feel more satisfied about, which they aren't, where Arya after killing the night king gets a nice lovely vacation from killing people for a little while and i feel like that that is one thing that doesn't really gel with her character i wish she had done more but this is absolutely in her character where there's nothing for her here anymore every everything that she set out to do and her whole list is gone yeah i think right i think yeah. yeah so she goes on a boat and goes west to for the next adventure and she is someone who is always hunting for adventures maybe she'll be you know maybe she'll get trained in another dark art of i don't know switching brains instead of faces oh, no. i don't know but it doesn't matter because it's so wonderful that she gets to do something that no one else gets to know it's like a her own little private adventure and not to get too meta here but this is the last episode of the tv show we're never going to see these characters again so it is fun to have that moment of like and Arya, who everybody loved went off and had untold adventures in her on her boat like the end end, right (laughs) and 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 she asked the question what's west of westeros which if you looked at all the maps that's always the question is like does it wrap around does it not we don't know nobody knows so she's gonna go find out i think that's awesome and uh she's trying to find a purpose i think maybe also that's a little more constructive than just being a killer because like you said her list is is vacant and she can go and like live the rest of her life. At this point is also when I I wrote down with the, with these characters all together. Um, hey, of all the Stark kids, they only lost. Well, I mean, they lost Rickon and Rob, and I guess Theon technically, but not really. Uh, but four, <laughs> the four made it. These four made it to the end. And those other two deaths were relatively early in the series compared to this. So, like, when was Rickon? Rickon was in, in the battle. Rickon, Rickon was executed in the Battle of the Bastards. Yeah. So that. When was that? Season five. Uh, I want to say six. six? five or six yeah so that was a while ago in comparison and yeah. rickon you know whatever rickon but rob was the, the last Rick- major stark death along with uh along with uh Catelyn. so it was a nice set of like uh, burn, I don't know, burn I really, on rickon there <laughs> well 
<laughs> last major stork death. Uh, there was also Rickon yeah. was there and he died. But I deserve that. Yeah. But it, it's nice to see that the four of them have made it. Yeah, we we get we get this moment because again, this is all about saying goodbye and reminding us where we've been. And so we get four the four children of Ned Stark who still survive and four of them survived, which is a pretty good number, I think. And they're there together. And, uh, and John, when he says, I'm sorry, I wasn't there when you needed me, said, which I think he's referring to protecting him from the night King. Right. I think that's what he means. Cause I can't think of another place where John didn't get to where he needed him. Uh, maybe John's spent several weeks in a dungeon thinking about it too. Whatever he's apologizing for, it, it's really just set up. So Bran can say you were exactly where you were supposed to be. Ooh, <laughs> weird. Bran is back a little bit, but also support a brand. So, you know, I have the strategy guide. I flipped to page 32. Yeah, that's right. The secret code, John is up, up, down, down, up. Um, then i cried here when he said goodbye to Arya. yeah um and you still have needle she's going to the west they hug it's God. all good um cut to brienne so i don't know if this is in the show or not but in the in the books definitely there's a book of the knights of the kingsguard i want to say and it tells of the exploits of the the knights of i don't think it's all the knights of westeros although maybe it is i but i thought it was the knights of the kingsguard anyway jamie's entry is not completed and brienne who is now you know in the castle and is part of the the new order it has decided that she is going to put in the rest of jamie's story and uh she's got ink and a pen and she keeps folding the pages over and you keep thinking to yourself no it's gonna just go on the other side of the paper because you didn't let it dry but again time compression i'm sure they just didn't (laughs) want to show us her sitting there and blowing on the ink until it was dry so they omitted that part but we do see there is actually a shot late in this series where you see her writing and then before you see her close the book you see the ink and it's and it's matte it's dry yes so so there's just it's okay people she didn't because that would be really sad if then, then like somebody else comes later and goes, Jamie Lannister, oh, it's just this blob of ink. I can't read anything. This is terrible. But <laughs> This was a nice moment where uh, she writes down all the different things that happened and it ends with died protecting his queen. Yeah. And that's that's one way of putting it, I guess. Uh, I also wish Brienne had written her own entry. That's one of the major I, criticisms of this bit. See, but, um, and I, I, I totally disagree with that because you don't edit your own Wikipedia page. She she's Her job is not to extol her own virtues. That's the job of somebody else to tell the story of of sir brienne of tarth her job is to uh you know and she wants to take it on is to finish up the story of this other uh member of the king's guard and this other knight who died who she loved who was jamie and you know i you know it's not her job to write her own story so i citation I, needed i deny that one i i think that that's too much to to go in here now i i think J- brienne and jamie you know I think that I think that you just have to view that as a tragedy personally. It's like he it's a tragedy like he of course he was going to be drawn back to his sister and and it was going to destroy him and it's it's tragic and that's I I went on about this last week but it's like that's the tragedy of Jamie Lannister is that he had all this capacity for good in him but all he could ever see was that he was a monster. Exactly. It's sad. But someone will write the story of Sir Brienne of Tarth in that book. That will absolutely happen. Um, Tyrion arranges the chairs. <laughs> it's a small council I chamber. There's a table. This. There's a chair. Oh, he gets God. up. He pushes all the chairs in. And then Bronn, Sam, and Davos walk in and they pull the chairs out. And he's like, uh, mm. wait, no, I did. I arranged those nicely for you, damn it. 
they don't they're not they know but he's like nervous and all of that and he's got his little hand chair that's got the little hand symbol on it um and so okay so braun is the master of coin davos is the master of of, of ships i was going to say master of boats because it's more fun but he's the master of ships uh and sam is the uh, grand meister so he's got his meister robes now and a chain and he is like officially the the head uh meister of the uh of the capital and uh he's got something to show which is a song of ice and fire where mr mr ebro uh has written the the definitive history of uh robert's rebellion and the wars that came thereafter um and Tyrion's like "Ooh, i bet i don't fare well in this one (laughs) and sam says i don't think you're mentioned But this is I one of those big meta that. moments, right? Which is like a song of ice and fire. It says, this is the book that you've been watching the TV show of. Huh? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and again, I'm going to give it to him. Like, it, it, you were in the last episode of this long-running major TV series. Do you get to do a couple of winks to storytelling in the Song of Ice and Fire right here at the end of like, of and that's the do. story we've been telling all along. Yeah, I'm going to give it to you. You get to do that. You get to take a victory <laughs> lap. It's okay. Yeah, I, I loved it. It felt really genuine and real and fun. And like, it, it was a nice little nod because I'm sure there's TV show watchers who don't know the books are called A Song of Ice and Fire. And they're like, oh, you know, whatever. But then there's people like me and my friends who screamed when that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a good, it's a good, uh, oh, I love that. A good, a good little end. Um, King, King Bran rolls in uh, with Brienne. Brienne is she's got the gold armor on she is as far as I can tell given that she sits at the table she is the head of the Kingsguard um uh they now now i've seen people say that this is evidence of bran not really being a hands-on king here but i feel like this is this actually happens a lot historically in lots of cases where there's like uh the the council who is running the country and then there's the the ruler um where the ruler is there to sort of like kick it off and say i declare this open here we are we're open for business and then the ruler excuses himself and basically says and i'm out of here do your job and that's sort of like so, a, a formality uh, have to be in this meeting yeah yeah exactly well it's sort of like i don't want to be in this meeting and i'm the king and um i'm sending a message here that it's uh this is your job i trust you you guys need to do this so brand's like I'm going to go sit in a corner and my eyes are going to turn all glowy and I'm going to look for the dragon around the world because I am the three-eyed raven and I can do that. Uh, I'll let you know if I find the dragon later. Um, and Pod comes because Pod, also now a knight on the King's Yay! Guard. Uh, and his job is to wheel the king around, apparently. And so Yay! he takes he takes Bran <laughs> away to look for look for dragons using the the far seeing of the three eyed raven. Uh, maybe and this is the spinoff I want of the small council just kind of bickering and talking. Isn't it, that was isn't great. Such good, I, I yeah. think this is great in the in the sense too of a door closing and you don't get to see what happens next. This is like the Sopranos moment, um, and I, I like. Again, to get meta about TV series finales, this is the team we don't get to see doing the things that we don't get to see about the operating and and kind of rebuilding of Westeros. That's not what the show is about. This is going to be a little you know less exciting and dramatic, but it's going to be these characters we know who have survived to the end. You know, Brienne and uh, Davos and Sam and uh, and a Tyrion and 
Braun. Oh my God, Braun, right? And they're they're running the country now, which is hilarious because there are several of the jokes. It's really like these idiots are running the country, but it's great. And, and we are not going to see any more of it. So it's just this little slice that says, and these people went on and they had their own adventures too. And I, I really like that, that we just get this little glimpse into what this is going to be going forward. And then, no more like and then the, the camera closes. pans back in a very overt like this is the end you yeah. do not get to see more but it continues yeah. and as they, i'm a little yeah. sad that bronze uh little revenge plot from a few episodes ago never came back because that was one of the things i was really looking forward to but, but he, here he is and they seem to have he got, you know, pay, he got paid off right that's what where it comes off. back is Tyrion's like so how did we uh did we uh pay you off and he's like yep you you did it i'm solid i'm ma- you know master coin and lord of of uh, this and lords of that or as as davos says master of coin and lord of lofty titles um which then J- Braun jousts with him and when he corrects his grammar and says are you the master of grammar which also made me laugh and laugh and laugh and uh uh He's complaining like, well, we need we need to you know get a plan for the ships. I don't know about money for the ships. He's like, but the brothels burned down in King's Landing, and that's upsetting. Mm, yes, we should brothels. prioritize that. <laughs> and Brienne says, look, I think we can all agree ships take precedence over precedence over brothels. To which Bronn says, I don't think we can. <laughs> it's cr- it's just like, oh boy, oh, the, I want more of that. The zany crew. Um, and, and and the last line of this, and and literally Tyrion's last line in the show, and I just want to spell this out because it is hilarious, absurd, and very Tyrion, is as they're having this ridiculous argument about whether they should spend money on brothels or ships, Tyrion, the hand of the king, contributes this to the conversation, and it's the last thing we hear, which is, you know, I once brought a jackass and a honeycomb into a brothel. And that's the end. That's all we I get. I didn't catch that. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. That's literally the last oh. thing he says is, is it's literally, so uh, a, a dwarf, a jackass, and a honeycomb walk into a brothel. We'll never see him again. <laughs> that's it. It's like, okay, that's very, that's a very Tyrion story. It's a ridiculous thing to say. And it's also, I mean, it's not exactly um, uh, the, the sky's the limit, right? Which Captain Picard says at the end of Star Trek The Next Generation. But I, and yet I feel it's kind of like it's a it's a, it's a moment of absurdity as they set about the difficult business of running this new kingdom. And uh, and I, I love how, yes, as you said, the camera pulls back and it's like, and that's all that the, the, that door closes and we don't get to see any more of that because it is the last episode of a TV show. And then we get the, the Stark montage. The, the Stark montage starts at the wall, uh, but we also get Sansa and Arya in here. Um, John arrives at the wall. He goes through the gates. He sees Tormund waiting there um, with the with uh, a bunch of the free folk, um, and the the door the gates close. Um, and then we get the as the music begins to play, which is the Game of Thrones theme, kind of extended edition with a choir. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not sure if they're actually singing the words Game of Thrones or just the vowel sounds of it, but it it, it the, Game the, of Thrones. The, it's like da la ba la da la Game of Thrones. It's listen, they are at least nodding to that that uh, that phrase when they're singing it, and we get the three characters and we kind of get a montage of the three of them doing their stuff and it's john gets ready sansa gets ready Arya gets ready swords and dresses and armor and maps and a spyglass and Arya is on a bridge of a ship headed to a new land west of westeros you can be in new no sorry <laughs> that took a second for me to land very good uh 10 points to gryffindor <laughs> that's the wrong 
but that wasn't what? Harry Potter. And and the... <laughs> um, I what's cried your name, at... man? <laughs> a girl has I no cried name. At, uh... <laughs> oh no, a girl has no name. I cried at Arya on the ship. I cried at Sansa being crowned Queen of the North. Yeah. Did not cry at uh, John going north okay, of the Wall, so, but we can talk about that. Yeah, so Arya, she's got her ship. She's got the big direwolf fl- uh, uh, sails, so branding. Um, I guess you could say, with considering who's the king, branding. No? We we got this episode we is sleepy, canceled. Jason, this episode. Uh, I like no, it. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to make the jokes. Anyway, um... Yeah, so Sansa is in Winterfell. Um, she is crowned queen in the north, and the and the northern north men do what they do, which is they stand up and they put their swords in the air and they go, "The queen of the north, queen of the north." What you gotta have? Queen of the north. And how far Sansa has come? How far Arya has come? How far all these characters have come? Now, John is is uh, at Castle Black. He's with the Wildings. There are a lot of women and children with the Wildings, too. These are people who, like, were not put on the front lines to fight when they were fleeing all of the monsters. Um, there are men there, are men there too, but there are also just a lot of... It's very clearly a lot of women and children in this group. Um, we see Ghost, everybody who was, like, really mad that they did... They missed their farewell. Uh, they didn't miss their farewell because they were saving it for here, and we get to see John and Ghost reunited. This is great. And John pet Ghost, which was great. Yes, and, and Ghost is like, you smell a little like drag. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the last scene of Game of Thrones, as the music continues to play, is John and Tormund and Ghost and the Wildings, including all those children. They go through the tunnel. They go out on the other side of the wall. John looks over his shoulder. The door closes behind. Grass, we see growing a little bit of grass in the snow, perhaps a hint of spring to come at the end of winter um they move on into the trees the camera stays behind and as they move through the snow and into the trees the show fades out and that's the end now what's beautiful about endings like this that do not tell you how the ravens were sent to invite people to the meeting (laughs) is that we get to interpret it as they want as we want and when i watched this the first time i said oh well you know john is john and torment and they're they're taking the wildings back because they don't belong there and they need to go back to their homes and they were probably destroyed by the monsters and the zombies and all that more i thought about it and when i watched it a second time john's not coming back this is first off gray worm's gone so who cares what they do and who cares what John does? Because Grey Worm's not coming back. Um, so they could just go back on their word. But, you know, they're probably... You know, Brands probably wants to keep his word and all that. But the truth is, John killed Daenerys. He's destroyed. He's distraught. He goes back to the north. He sees Tormund. He remembers Egret. He knows about the Free Folk. The, um, the Night's Watch is essentially destroyed already. John goes through the gate and looks over his shoulder as the gate goes down, and then he go- he goes with the uh, the wildings into the woods. I don't know any other way to interpret it. John's never coming back. He's absolutely not coming back, yeah. and I think it's a decision he made of his own volition. Which again, I wish the reason he was at the walls was of his own volition. But I do like 
the fact that he gets to live a life he's more comfortable living rather than being entwined and entangled in all this politics and, and see, yeah uh, and the, he, the pressures of society and the society reaching all the way to the wall and forcing people against their will to do this and he's he is just done with all of that his buddy torment is there they can go off have a good time maybe he'll meet another you know another woman to fall in love with like he did with egret who knows maybe they'll have kids maybe he'll be the king of the of the north like <laughs> beyond the, the wall, real north the king beyond the wall who knows but he's done with the world he's done with westeros society he's never going back he's going to be free like torment and all the rest um, and I, I think I think it's kind of beautiful. It, in fact, that's the end that makes me the happiest for John is if you remember all the time he spent living with the free folk and all of that in, in the earlier seasons. Like, I think him saying I did my duty and I'm done and I'm not going to go run the Night's Watch again. I'm just going to leave and you're never going to see me again. I kind of love it. I think that's I, I think that's exactly right. Exactly, exactly. Two things. I really love that these shots echo the very, very beginning yeah. of the series. Uh, there's a lot of the like gate opening, horses go through, gate closing, that like they did the shots exactly snowy, right. Like, the the very snowy first trees things. and things coming into and out of those trees that are like the beginning of the unmapped uh, region beyond the wall, which is super mm-hmm. scary and weird. And here it's almost like um, welcoming in this one yeah yeah and i also wish that winter played a bigger role in the series i was surprised i agree um, I, I i was surprised that they built up how long the winter was going to be and how hard it was going to be but there really wasn't any winter talk at all especially with the way that last season ended and this season began with like some really ominous snowfall there really wasn't much about it unless I i've also heard the theory that the night king yes. is the reason winter existed he's gone no winter yeah there we go i think i think that's that's my choice of how to interpret it is that um, the Night King was responsible for the long, dark winters. That was his magic, basically. And with him defeated, spring will come. And then perhaps the seasons in Westeros will be a little more reasonable. <laughs> that's my, uh, <laughs> that's sort of what I'm, how I'm interpreting that. Um, but yeah, I agree that the, you know, the winter being there didn't, it, it wasn't as a, a big deal in the end as maybe they made it out to be. But I don't know. It's just, John is obviously again very sad, but I feel like this is this is his happy ending. This is him essentially. This is his. I know we made the joke about uh, <laughs> about Arya going into the West with Frodo, but she's going off on another adventure, the next great adventure. Uh, John is the one that's like Frodo going into the West. John is a destroyed yes. person at the end of his story. He did the thing he had to do at huge personal cost. There's nothing more for him to do. I don't know if that makes Tormund an elf. I don't know. It, the story, the, 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 the comparison to the Lord of the Rings break down at that point. But in the sense of at the Lord of the Rings, how, uh, how Frodo is done. That's John here. This is John's into the West. John's, John may live a happy life or a decent life or a free life, but what he is doing is he's signing out of society, and I love it. So well, yep. I think that's a great way wonderful. to end. Plus, juxtaposed with his sisters, the one who's doing what she wants to do, which is high adventure. She always wanted to do that, even when she was a kid. And and the, the you know the journey of Sansa was rough, but where we get to with Sansa is a great end point, which is... Being a king, being a queen or a princess is not at all 
what that fantasy depiction of it is, which again, I think is a theme of George R.R. R. Martin is like, yes. we all think, Oh, to be a princess, to be a prince, it's actually awful, but <laughs> she's gone through that and she is now made of steel and she is the queen in the North. And yes. that part is awesome. So she is the one who is going to, uh, she was brought up under this assumption that she would just get married off and be a pawn in a political game. And instead she has shown the political steel to get independence for her per- people and she can be the queen in the North. And that's a pretty, pretty great ending too. So yeah, I'm surprised definitely. in the end, like, I think the shocker about this and, and let me know what you think about this is, is that it's, it's not a bloodbath and it ends on a fairly happy you know bittersweet they said it was going to be and i think bittersweet it was but i think way happier than i really feared the end of the show being i thought it was going to be bleak i thought the entire country would be destroyed and it was going to be two people left and And one of them was the night king (laughs) yeah and like whoever won got to be the king or queen of nothing and like i don't know it i'm really glad that this ending really did service to the characters more so than any of the big chess pieces and their relationships they wrap that up at the beginning of this episode and last week and i feel like this ending where it focused on the starks and how happy they are and the small council and how funny they are and all these extra little things it felt like a really satisfying ending that was only possible because we had the giant chess game that was resolved in the way that it was yeah uh we should wrap up soon but i have one quick question for okay. you um the uh, i guess spoilers for the books i guess maybe but uh i wanted to ask you if you could do like a tweet length summary of who the character like two or three years ago you thought a character from the books that hasn't been in the show was going to show up and be a deus ex machina or something and i know moises on twitter said that lady or like lady stone something lady or stoneheart other. right yeah who is that what could they have done tweet length summary i guess um for for that one for lady stoneheart yeah for lady stone okay for those who don't know i mean i don't even know how to navigate the spoiler thing if you're you don't want to be spoiled about things that happen in the books but don't happen in the show i guess don't listen to this part but in the books there are way more characters there are more sand snakes there's more stuff happening in dorn there's another air targaryen air that is trying to that's been raised in secret there's all of this other stuff going on that is just taken out because it's too much um i think it's too much for george R. R. martin too but that's another point lady stoneheart is uh, a character that was tied to if you think about um thoros of mir and beric dondarian who were there with the brotherhood without banners they got the flaming swords they got you know he, thoros is the red priest he keeps raising beric dondarian from the dead and what we see in the in the book is that in the end the red lady raises Jon snow from the dead and then uh you know thoros and beric end up being a part of that kind of like last battle against the night king in the books thoros ends up raising instead of Beric, who's been raised a bunch of times uh he uses his power to raise somebody else from the dead which i think ends up killing Beric, or he's going to die the next time and stay dead and the person that he brings back from the dead is catelyn stark whose body after the red wedding is dumped in the river washes ashore and they find her and they bring her back to life using the resurrection power she can't speak because her vocal cords have degraded she looks 
uh, her complexion is gray because she's been dead and in the river for two days. Um, but she is still on the move and doing stuff with the Brotherhood Without Banners in the books. And I think what they decided is one, that actress um, wasn't going to be on the show anymore. And th- and that was like fine. And that two, um, they just basically rolled that character into Beric Dondarrion. That is fascinating. And that's one of the points I want to make is that at this point, I- I'm never going to read the books. I-, I-, I have so much other stuff that I want to read before I want to go into Game of Thrones, yeah. which I just saw the entire story of. Yeah, but maybe in a decade s- <laughs> yeah. when George has written one more book. <laughs> I am so excited to dive headfirst into all the wikis, though, and see all this extra information that wasn't in the show. Because, like, if I know the, like bird's eye view of everything then i'm so excited to get into well, the nitty-gritty that just couldn't make if it you think show. about uh benjen stark who gets a very brief right he's missing and then he helps them and hodor and all of that and then in the end he saves john right at the very end of that uh that scene last season and then he immediately dies and like we don't really get to say goodbye to him and all that but the imp- implication there is that the three-eyed raven you know benjen stark was basically a zombie who was raised uh, like Angel on Buffy, he he he's but good. He's a good zombie. Well, <laughs> that's kind of like imagine if if that was the case with with Catelyn Stark, with the the mother of the Stark children. If if after the Red Wedding, it turned out she was brought back as a kind of a vengeful um, spirit, as a vengeful alive but kind of shambly zombie like, but uh, still working for the forces of good that's kind of that would have been interesting but i think the writers were like okay first off what michelle ferry probably not going to come back and want to do that part and two it adds all sorts of weird complications that just aren't there if it just you just keep your immortal uh warrior beric dondarian around so but for readers (laughs) the books it's a it's a fun little thing also you can read about uh young griff uh young and old griff and that's a whole that's the whole subplot about a hidden uh, heir to the throne that I wonder what happens to him. I don't know. Uh, George <laughs> is going to have to write some books to find that out. But I do think, I think the, the ending that they worked um, to get back to the working their way back from the ending that they wanted and then backtracking it through the last two seasons. I do think that basically this is the ending that George Martin told them was the ending. I, I don't know that for a fact, and it'll be interesting to see if they talk about it, but I, would be surprised if if it wasn't the fact that George Martin said, well, in the end, it's Bran because John kills Daenerys after she destroys King's Landing. Like, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, maybe they took some liberties with it, but my guess is that they still tried to kind of honor the big arc that George Martin wanted to tell and then painted in the details. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe uh, they'll say that that wasn't the case. Regardless, I think if George Martin ever finishes these books, he may go in a completely different direction and may feel free mm-hmm. to do so now. But this, my guess is that this was probably his original intent for the end of the story. And next week we get a documentary about the making of season yes, eight, which I'm incredibly excited we're about. We're not going to flash cast that, but yes, there's nope. one more week that HBO <laughs> is ringing out of this thing. And uh, and we got, there's other stuff. We got a bunch of trailers because HBO would like to remind you that they're not shutting down this week uh there was <laughs> please don't unsubscribe was please a, watch watchmen there was a watchmen thing there's a westworld trailer that is uh extremely effective if you don't know that you're watching a westworld trailer um and uh brian you know we're at the end this is the end 
we are at the end. Jason, um, if you have nothing else, I have a closing statement. Please give me your closing statement. You know you were on the first podcast I ever heard, right? No. Did you even know what a podcast was then? So I followed you and Scott McNulty and Dan Morin on Twitter, and then y'all were all tweeting about something called The Incomparable, and it was episode 100, and I gave it a listen. And then, you know, I was listening to The Incomparable for a few years, and then I started doing this podcast with you and Monty. And Game of Thrones launched my podcasting career. This podcast launched my podcasting career. You and Monty launched my podcasting career. It's really Monty. I all I did was you all I did was not be available because I was on a business trip. That's <laughs> so it's all Monty. And I was waiting for the time well, oh okay, we we got enough out of Brian. Let's we only need to invite him back for next season. And then you kept doing it and then you kept doing it. Then you kept inviting me back to other things. And now here I am, y'all are stuck with me. And sometimes I get so caught up in these fictional worlds that we're watching, you know, on Game of Thrones and everything and all the other things we talk about on the incomparable and I sometimes forget that all my favorite people in the world are right here on the incomparable and I wouldn't care nearly as much about the people on these shows and the media I watch or think about them nearly as critically if I didn't get to watch them with all my best friends and that was true in 2012 it was true in 2014 and it's true now so Jason from the bottom of my heart thank you well thank you brian and thank you for for being a part of this that was fun uh it was yeah monty was just like oh brian's gonna do this podcast i'm like great and uh and uh you just we just brought you into the fold and i'm sorry that monty hasn't been here the last couple of weeks but you know he he has said i will relay something from monty which is he's really enjoyed the last three weeks watching game of thrones without taking notes for the (laughs) for the first time ever because of course before we did this podcast the reason in fact i'll share this now too the reason this podcast exists is because i know i found out that monty because i think the site went under was no longer going to be recapping game of thrones which he had done for television without pity for so many years for like three years or something like that and we started doing the flashcast because i said hey monty i know that you're not doing a recap would you like to do a podcast post episode review instead that's how it started is really me seeing monty having spent all this time and built up an audience presumably talking about game of thrones writing about it and i thought well why don't we try that as a podcast instead and that's how this whole thing got started and i don't know how many episodes we've done of this 40 or something like that of this one in particular but um, a lot of great milestones on the way i think this is going to be you know uh, even if people hate how it ended, I think uh, it's a it's a landmark television series and uh, with big themes and so much to talk about. I really enjoyed having the chance on Sunday nights to talk about it. And it was great to hear from people who loved listening on their often Monday morning commutes to us talking about the Game of Thrones from the night before. So it was an honor to be a part a uh, small part of some of your experience with uh, with this TV show and uh and Brian, I'm I'm so glad that we could help give you your start into the wonderful world of <laughs> podcasting. Absolutely. Uh, quick uh, statistics: TV episode eight 
was Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 1, Two Swords, from April 6th, 2014. We are on TV episode 566 as of last week for Game of Thrones. I don't know what episode this is going to be, but wow, it's been over 550 episodes since this whole thing started. And in fact, I would say that that's the truth of it, that there were no... I did some flashcast episodes of Doctor Who on the main incomparable back in the day, but this was the first... TV podcast flashcast. And since then, yes, since then, there have been uh, 561 more. Jesus. <laughs> so, it, but it comes to an end here. Thanks to Brian. Thanks to Monty in absentia. Thanks to all the listeners. And uh, thanks to... Tyrion Lannister, I guess. And Braun. I owe Braun money probably at this point. Now we get on our boat. Is that a direwolf uh, sail I see? And we find out what is west of Westeros. We'll go there now. Thank you from the Game of Thrones flashcast and goodbye! Now our watch is ended. Until we do a rewatch, our watch is no! ended. <laughs>